The current state of the music industry can best be showcased by MTV's reality show Ban in a Bubble that featured Atlanta Georgia's Cartel. The band was locked inside a Big Brother-like apartment studio in late May 2007 to write and record their next record over a 20-day period while the world tuned in and hopefully didn't turn off. It was the perfect example of the marriage of marketing and sponsorship dollars to help promote new artists instead of relying on good old-fashioned radio play and music videos. 23-year-old Kanye's Georgia native Will Pugh is Cartel's frontman, and he'll admit that things didn't really go as planned or promised, for that matter, and now the band has taken a hold-the-course-steady approach before deciding which direction to take with their next album. And if their fans could have it, they'd have the band repeat the success and catchy pop-song tunage of their 2005 debut album, Chroma, a record that is literally one single after another from beginning to end. With their latest album, their major label debut, the obviously titled Cartel, the band stretched their wings a bit and tried to move the ball further down the field, dropping the sing-along songs for a more mature approach, only to end up with tepid hardcore fan reviews and a split decision amongst music critics, depending on when they became familiar with the band. As with most things in the music industry today, the irony is that the record debuted in the Billboard Top 100 at number 20. Cartel was formed in Atlanta in August 2003 through the merging of several high school bands, swapping out several members over the past few years that didn't quite fit in, and currently consists of Pew on vocals and guitar, Nick Hudson on guitar, Kevin Saunders on drums, Joseph Pepper on guitar, and Jeff Lett on bass. The band has released several EPs to date along with a cover of Oasis' Wonderwall and the Punk Goes 90s compilation. Their hit record Chroma has sold over 226,000 records to date. When the Band in the Bubble show was announced, Bob Lefsitz, the popular and hated online rock columnist, tore into the band for apparently making it all about marketing and not about the music. Rather than become the David Blaine's of music, he wrote, Cartel can only save itself by issuing a press release rebelling against such crap. Would the Sex Pistols listen to their label? Would they be playing it safe? Would they be tools of the marketing machine? Pew quickly responded Lefsitz with the following. The industry is crumbling, people are losing their jobs, less established bands are being dropped from major labels every day, even ones that sold pretty decently but didn't get the break everyone was looking for. We are looking at this as our make or break opportunity. It really doesn't matter what you or any other blogger in the world thinks. We think we fucking rock. Our producers don't do shit to our songs and we don't listen to our A&R guy. He just got fired anyway. We dropkick most of the top 40 artists right in the face if we were put up to the tests of a live performance or songwriting ability. With that being said, there are artists who are up there, who are fantastic and bust their ass, and earned it the old-fashioned way. We, however, feel we deserve to be up there too, and just because Pete Wentz doesn't tell everybody they should like our band doesn't mean we don't belong. And according to Pew, 98% of their record, Chroma, did not use autotune. An avid golfer since seven years old, we began our conversation going over some of the rules of the game. I have to ask this right off the bat because as I've done more research into your life and uh, your career, um, I did not realize how much. I knew, but I didn't realize how much of a golf fan you were. <laughs> so I found something that was uh, when I was doing my research and uh, uh, it, it maybe you could put some clarity to this or not. It's, okay. it, it was the eight stupid mistakes every golfer makes. <laughs> Get this, this. All right. Number one, wrong ball position. Poor takeaway. Uh, number three was the straight knee over the top. The fifth was hitting the ego shot. Uh, laying up too close. Weight back on chips. 
and the eighth was decelerating the putter. So which of these do you make, do you make most often? Um, <laughs> actually, it's uh, hitting the ego shot, probably. <laughs> Instead of, uh, I mean, th- there's a couple of those. Um, the, the, there's one that they missed, which was uh, hitting it fat around the green. That's that's a big one. All right, now explain that to me because I haven't played. I played golf in high school, but I, I used to like play it in the rain for fun. <laughs> so explain this to me. Okay, well, I mean, since you play in the rain, it'd be a lot easier to explain. <laughs> like you know, in the it's really really wet, and like you're next to the green, you have like 15 yards. You just want to you know, kind of knock it on there, all right. and you end up hitting behind it and just laying the sod over the ball. Oh, all right, yeah. That would be hitting it fat. Most of the time, that comes from having your weight on the back side. I, I would just call that fucking up. But well, yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, that's that's a big deal too. <laughs> It's like I've I've been playing for like 17 years or six, 16 years, and uh, like that's the most frustrating thing in the world. You just bomb like a 300-yard drive. You have like a 60-yard shot to the green, and you just boom, just completely screw it up, and it just completely sucks. So what is your handicap now? I mean, what are you up to now? What's your, what's your... Um, well, when the Golf Digest thing came out like a year and a half ago, it was an 8.3. Now it's actually more down to like a 5. Wow. So I'm, I'm moving... Moving in good steps. Yeah, you are. So, is is it something where you're playing in every city that you try and get out to, or is this like only certain cities you're playing now because you have your favorite courses? Uh, I mean, I've got a couple of courses in some cities uh, that I really like, but most of the time it's going out there and trying to find something new. Um, but I, I I try to play like once a week. What's your favorite courses? Where are they? Um, actually, in Portland or just outside of Portland, there's a a course called the Reserve. Hmm. It's like on an old uh, vineyard kind of thing. Um, it's got two separate types of courses. One's like a link style with no trees and like tall grass, and the other's like nothing but trees. So it's really cool. Uh, well, and, and it's kind of like video games. Like, is there a particular type that you're better at? Um, I typically like the more traditional. Like, just from being from the south, like you have the just the wide open tree line fairways. But if mm-hmm. you happen to really fuck up and like hook it dead left over the trees, you're in the middle of another fairway, and you can kind of get to it. It's more fun, I think. <laughs> so if you're, so it, it's everything says that you live in Atlanta, but it's actually in Atlanta, or is it a suburb of Atlanta you're in now? Or? Well, Atlanta is like this you know, big circle, and right. like you have all these little suburbs within right. it. Um, it's actually Decatur, which right. is about okay. 10 so you are in Decatur. Downtown. Okay, yeah. okay. So is there uh, is is I mean, because Georgia, from I always understood from watching the golf when I was younger. Uh, on Sunday afternoon was like it seemed like Georgia was like the state of golf courses and oh, it was yeah. like it's golf capital of the country yeah. and so are there particular golf courses in Atlanta I was doing some research and look at there's like tons of them in Atlanta mm-hmm. I mean like tons like nice ones yeah the uh, East Lake actually where they had the okay uh, I just saw the last name. tournament it um it's like right around the corner from our house like I, there's a driving range that's like the only grass driving range in Atlanta that's close to me that I drive to that I have to actually drive past East Lake to get to. So, so when you're off, a, when you're off a tour, when you're not having, uh, when you're not kind of in the writing phase of things, or you're you're not forcing yourself to have to kind of sit down and focus on band stuff. How many days a week are you usually going golfing? Three to four. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I can't get enough of it. And I've read that you want to be reincarnated as as Tiger Woods. That'd be great, just to know one time what that felt like. I'd play one round. I don't care if he shot even par. I haven't shot even par like since I was. 16 in high school golf i kind of feel bad for the guy though because he's kind of got like this um uh well let me see it's not really like a britney spears thing going on but it's 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 just like if he screws up just a little bit yeah he's not given that he's you know everybody jumps on him it's over it's over is he finished is he retiring is it you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess in some ways i appreciate it because it's like you know i guess in 
especially in, in music, you have a lot of critics and everything like that. And especially with him, I could imagine, because it's like with me, I have four other dudes to lean on. It's just him, you know? Mm-hmm. And he goes through all the scrutiny, like swing change, and people are like questioning, is he, is he done? And then he comes back, you know, three years after he started the swing change, and he just runs shit on everybody. And I just love that. <laughs> I love it when, when somebody just dominates what they do, what, no matter what it is. And he definitely does it better than most so it's like, like in a dominating way that you were you in the, speaking of dominating the uh, you you've the thing that it's always admired I've admired about cartel is the fact that from day one you guys have come out and said um, we just want to be as big as we can possibly be we if we want to we can be as big as Led Zeppelin and the Beach Boys and we we want to do that mm. we want to do exactly that you don't have kind of you don't you know pull punches and kind of like yeah well you know and kind of like fool everybody with some sort of like credit like not credibility issue but just kind of like you play that game where you're kind of like yeah well we didn't intend to do that you know and it's yeah. like no we intend to get this big yeah and so it's it's kind of a more of a, a positive uh forward thinking in it and it's like have you found much um resistance from that from anybody or from any of your fans at all like you kind of resent that uh i mean some people think you know think it comes off as overly cocky, but I mean, I, I would just, I mean, it's obvious then that they haven't met us because really, you know, we're pretty down to earth, you know, regardless of anything that happens. I mean, we think right now that we're huge compared to you know when we were sixteen. If somebody would have told us we'd be in this position, we'd you know punch them in the face for lying to us so bad. But it's uh, it, it's crazy to think how far we've come in such a short amount of time and how far we still could go, and. Uh, you know, but like you said, it's it's been a very natural progress up to that point. But um, I think, you know, you just have to think that you can be that big. And, you know, otherwise, you might as well stop where you're at. You know, we're at, you know, 1,500 to, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 cap clubs right now. Just quit if you don't think you can be bigger, you know, like, or try to. And if, and now, in a band with your level, you, you went from Militia Group with Chroma, uh, and then that got reissued again through mm-hmm. Epic. Um, and then the new record, which came out on August 21st of this year mm. on Epic, um, and it debuted at number 20, which is great, and congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, but as we were kind of talking in the car over, the, you kind of get to this level now when you're within the major the, the, the major music business people where they're paid to sit there and tell you nice things sometimes right. to be very, very nice to you. And so how do you, you – and you see artists – let's talk – there's Britney Spears right there – where they have so many people surrounding them that – don't they're not paid to say no mm. they're paid to say yes they're mm. paid to say hey you rock that was a great show tonight and you didn't you sucked you know and it's like how do you guys how have you guys learned to set up some sort of mechanism to cross check that cross fact check um what is going around and what's being told to you so you know so you're aware of reality and not necessarily becoming no pun intended the, you know in a bubble so to speak of right, what's yeah. going on i think you just have to you know find the people yeah, I think the best thing is for patience, because if you... Really? Patience? Yeah, because, I mean, you're not going to get everybody's, you know, fair shake on the first meet. So you got to kind of got to give them time and see, you know, when they get comfortable, if they're going to straight shoot you or they're going to, you know, bullshit you. And with, uh, like with us, with Epic, like we kind of had that little bit of, a, I guess, a grace period where we just, okay, well, they're going to do their thing. And then and finally, like we felt, you know, we played in New York and we felt like we hadn't had like the best... Sound. It was on the Newfound Glory tour. It was a small, okay. like it was Irving Plaza, and for some reason, like things just didn't go well that night. I mean, it was, we played fine, sure, but it wasn't it wasn't up to where we could have been. And uh, 
you know, some people are like, oh, God, that's like the best I've ever seen you and all this. So we're like, yeah, thanks, cool. You know, and then, you know, a couple of guys be like, you know, be like, what do you think? Because you know, we were like, feeling is pretty rough. And they're like, you know, it wasn't the best I've ever seen you. It didn't completely suck, but you just, you know, you could have done better. And I was like, thank you. Thank right. you for finally not straight, you know. So it's, uh, it, it, you got to wait and find those kind of opportunities where, you know, people will avail themselves to their actual, I guess, character. And then you latch onto those people and you go to them for advice and let the other people kind of do their thing. Is there, do you, do you have certain key individuals set up to be more or less the guard dogs? Mm. You know, yeah. our, our manager, Chris Black is a, he's been like our best friend for a long time, like way before, um, like even high school, like we like little tiny bands. He, you know, would, he's in other bands himself and we do shows together, but he'd be the one who's like, all right, we'll get some flyers. We'll do all this other stuff. And he's kind of like everybody's big brother kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he definitely looks after us a lot because there's you know been countless times where I find out something happened and he'd be like, oh yeah, I, I took care of it, took care of it already. Don't even worry about it. And I'm like, really? Like that's kind of cool because I definitely wouldn't have wanted to hear anything about that. <laughs> Thanks. Good looking out there, sir. I definitely didn't want to know that went went down. I mean, I, th- I mean that does bring up a really interesting point because there is those there are those times where uh, the you have those guard dogs and they are out there to. Um, uh, how, I, how do I say? You're not only defending your defending the band, but they're also being aggressive for the band. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the information or the story or the person that was involved in that comes back to you, you know. And I'm like, well, why'd you like? Why'd you do that to me, man? Why'd yeah. you do that? You know. And you're like completely in the dark for about most of it anyway. So it's like, how do you how do you handle those sorts of situations as a band? Do you just kind of sit there and say, well, I talk to the band manager, or is it kind of like, I don't know, what's the tour manager? I have nothing to do with it. And you kind of like run to the bus, or like, <laughs> how do how do you do it? How do you handle those? I mean, you just gotta you know let it swing, man. Hopefully those people, you know, you, you have to think that those people are coming to you because. You know, they obviously know that you had nothing to do with it, and maybe if you did, you would have done something differently. But then again, you really—I don't really know everything. You know, it's not—that's not my purpose to know. That would really, <laughs> really hinder the music. You know, as it is. I mean, I already know a lot as it is. Pretty and, cynical music, I. Yeah, just, right. it would sound like you know Radiohead lyrics. You know? <laughs> Um, <laughs> maybe they should. Maybe <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm sure the label would be happy. Yeah, they'd be like, "Oh, really? Okay." Yeah, right. You play a lot of festivals. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but yeah, you just gotta you gotta think that they're coming to you just to kind of let you know. They just want to be heard. That's I think what most people who cause a ruckus they just want to be heard. They don't care if anything happens. So, I you know you just gotta let that slide off. Find out what happened. See if there was anything that you would amend. You know, had it been your call, and then just you know. Let it go, because there's going to be countless times that something bad happens in your name that you had nothing to do with. So you got to just roll with it. it, That's just an unfortunate side effect. It seems like some of the that there's a chunk of your of your supporters, your crew, um, and and other individuals that are that more or less were from your where you guys grew up and Mm -hmm. were from that whole that scene there and. They they come up the ladder with you, but then sooner or later, because of the industry or your expectations, your needs change as a band or even as from Chris's the manager's position, like oh, we need somebody that knows more than this person does. You have to start, you know, uh, ejecting people mm-hmm. that have been with you for a while. And you know, how do you how do you um, is that something where you take more of an active role because these people are have been with you for a while or, you know, were there from that first tour, that second tour, were there when, you know, things were really, you know, you guys were really doing the flyer thing and so forth and so on. Is that something we get a lot more involved in those sorts of situations or is this something where it's more of like, 
um, again, let the manager handle it or, or let the label handle it or something like that. And you can you know, kind of say, well, it's the label's fault. They, they decided it or something like that. How do you handle more of those relationship issues? It's, uh, it's, it's tough. I mean, we've, um, our manager, like I said, is one of our best friends. Our tour manager, Chuck, you know, same position. Um, it's just, you know, Chris happened to get involved in the music industry where Chuck was, you know, going to college. So it's like, you know, it could have easily been the other way around, except Chris, I don't think, could handle the road. <laughs> um, he definitely doesn't have the beard for it. Um, but, <laughs> he's got the mustache for it, not the beard. Half, halfway there. So yeah. he can do, he can do regional spots. Yeah. Right, I see. But we've had, I mean, like, I, Kevin's little brother is our drum tech. Um, we had a friend come out, like, on, uh, the last headlining tour who, uh, was going to do merch for us because Kevin's little brother was doing merch and was going to, okay. you know, grow up to drum tech. Uh, so he was going to come out and do it, and you know, he'd been in a band, he'd toured a little bit, so he knew like the whole touring process and how merch works and all that. And he just, you know, God bless him, he couldn't, he couldn't figure it out. You we know? all have our talent. Yeah, right, and that, right, that right. just wasn't his. Right, Great right. guy. I mean, like I'm sure the kids who came up to the table just loved him, but we weren't selling nearly as much because we'd go up there and he'd just be talking to him. We're like, and there's like 50 people in line, and we're like. Dude, like, put him off the side, bring him out to the table, just talk to him behind you in a text message or something. Just like 25 <laughs> people behind him, and five of them just left. Yeah, um, they went and bought Boys Like Girls CD. <laughs> but uh, they, <laughs> so we we had to finally just kind of derank him and like, bring him down uh, to doing uh, basically just hanging out. We're like, dude, like we'll keep giving you per diems. Like, we just want to hang out because we like you being here. We just need somebody else to do our merch. And, you know, we finally got back around to uh, to Atlanta. We all just, that was it. So you got you to gotta be gracious to them because you got to know that, you know, you are friends before. And, you know, one day you're not going to be in a band or in, you know, this position. And, you know, unless you're Mick Jagger. And then, uh, you know, then you got to deal with these people and they're going to be your friends. And they're going to last way longer than this music thing is. So you just got to be good to the people who are good to you. And... That, you know, goes true even of, you know, any business relationship, you know, you know, attorneys, booking agents, label. You have to, you know, be their friend and until proven wrong, you know, treat them like they're like you're their friend, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it, it gets really kind of iffy and we like to take a personal uh, personal approach to everything because we don't make any big decisions like that, especially based on like, you know, friends and things like that of that nature without, like, a big group decision. Because, I mean, there'll be, like, you know, business things, like, do we want our song on this station or would we rather it on this station or, you know, all these Right, all those battles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, not everybody needs to know that. You know, that just ties your mind up in too many things. So, you know, there are decisions made like that. But um, when it comes down to the really important ones, which, you know, friendship obviously being the most important, we like to make it a, a full band effort. Do you guys, is this something where, especially the core group of you, the, since you've been together so long, you've been friends for so long, from high school and before mm-hmm. high school even, um, is it something where you you have always kind of kept in the back of your mind, this could all end tomorrow morning? Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of always planning for that? Like... You, you you know where the eject button is on the on the plane, so you, you can get out. It's you like you know because like you know there's a lot of theories right now about Fall Out Boy, and I know you admire these guys, and you've talked about them a lot, and, and how, like how they've been able to get big but keep that connection with their fans a lot. Yeah. And so, but there's a lot of theories going on about Fall Out Boy that that it's done. It's done. It's just a matter of time that you know they're they're. You know, Pete's really going crazy with his entrepreneurial projects because he needs to have something backing up. You know, and yeah. it's like, and the other guys, you know, what are they going to do? And and so it's kind of like, is it's kind of like, is that something where you kind of have that in your mind at some point going, oh, well, you know, 
Uh, maybe I'll be a golf teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, first off, uh, or a graphic designer, actually. For, no, not a graphic designer. No, hell okay. no. I'd, I'd much rather be a like a caddy bitch at like, you know, some course. <laughs> I, I'd rather be the caddy's bitch, like the guy who's like, "Yo, go get me a new towel." Okay, I'd rather do that than ever be a graphic designer. Or someone real point. rich, by the way. Right. Say what? Someone real rich. Right. Yeah, or that. Right. You know. yeah. Um, but uh, first off, if uh, you know, if that does happen, if Fall Boy does, you know, you know. Back to bullet. Right. Um, Patrick Stump, I'd like to go ahead and extend my invitation. To, you are more than welcome to join our band. I don't care. We'll have seven guitars. You can join our band any day. Seven guitars. You we'll know. hang out. I'll let, I'll, I'll even We're going let back him, to classic rock days. I'll, I'll even let him sing a couple songs. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's like his idol's Nat King Cole. So there we know, go. He's See, a great vocalist. Nat. Yeah. I love that. So, um, But anyway, yeah. You have to think, you know, in any time you're the luckiest person in the world for being able to do this because you can go on MySpace right now and find 100,000 bands that will never do anything. And they don't know it, but, you know, they sure are trying. It's the same thing with us. We just tried and it just happened to work out. And, you know, some really, you know, quirky things happened and we found label people and then we got moved up to major. And now, you know, here we are. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it's been a roller coaster and you just have to think, you know, there, it's going to have its ups and downs and eventually that last up is going to be your last up and that last down is your last down and it's just going to have what's going to roll and you're not going to know and uh i think that the whole thing is just you know every day we wake up and you know no matter how hard it is no matter how sick you are and how much you don't want to play the show or wake even wake up you know you have to turn over and pinch yourself because you know i'm on a bus like touring the country like multiple times now playing to you know multiple different people and having the best time of my life really and you know, if that ended tomorrow, then we're, you know, we still did it. We can't be counted failures. Now, we didn't get to the point, you know, who knows where the point is of, you know, where you're finally satisfied. Like, okay, I think we've gotten as big as big can be. I mean, we don't really expect to be as big as Zeppelin or the Beatles. I mean, that took 30 years for them, you know. So I'm, I'm sure right after they broke up or, you know, stopped playing music, they weren't like nearly as big as they are now because there weren't even that many people in the world as there are now. So, right, right. Like, um, you know, you just have to strive for greatness, and you know, if you just wind up achieving your dream in the middle, you know, the most uh, minimum way, then you still achieved your dream. And you know, if it ended tomorrow, cool, man. We had a good ride. I go back to school. I can live a normal life. I don't care. Like this was fun, and I'll always be able to say I got to do this. Like regardless of what we did or what we didn't do, or who hated us and who didn't. It's all about the people who did like you. And, you know, the shows you play to those people and the connection you made between them. That's what we're all in it for, I think. There are bands that are, that are um, live it all, give it all right now kind of bands, which is mm. like every night is like they're partying like the earth <laughs> is going to end tomorrow. And and then there are other bands that are a lot more, um, I don't know if conservative is the word, but it's the only word I can come up with right now, where they're just more reserved in the amount that they're spending, the amount that they're personally Right. spending and that they're invest that they're um giving of themselves you know like as much as energy going all night going to everywhere you know you, you, you go into another town you do the gig bang you got to go out that night you have to hit five places you got to go to the after hour until 3 a.m bus call mm -hmm. so how would you describe your band how would you describe yourself in that respect where do you think you fall on that scale i think you know we like to have a good time but we don't by no means will they write a book about cartel <laughs> Um, well, no I mean, VH1 special yet. No VH1 special yet. There, w there will be no behind the music. Like, man, he was just. You know. Think of the think of the royalties. Yeah, no, you probably won't get any. VH1. It wouldn't we'll be that interesting. We, we've already had a TV show about us. <laughs> 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 the, uh, 
TV show of the TV show. Yeah, TV. Exactly. You know why not? Um, yeah, I com- it's it's kind of it's kind of I completely lost. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. It's just kind of where are you on that scale of living it up, partying? Yeah, it's, or being a little bit more reserved. I mean, are you a little bit of both? It sounds like you're seeing a little bit of both. It's a it's a little bit of both. I mean, like we we have our once a week like oh my god at six a.m. And then you have your, um, you know, nights where it's midnight. And you're like, God, I just want to go to sleep. So I mean, we're pretty laid back. I mean, we're we're a back lounge kind of band. Uh, like, like the guys in Hawthorne Heights out here are like really bus guys. They're like they just yeah. sit on the bus and play video games all the time. And you know, some of the guys in Cute is what we aim for. I <laughs> like that too. You know, it, it, it's something like that. I mean, we're pretty reserved people. We do that when we're at home. But um, when we go uh, when we go out, you know, different cities, it's most of the time with some friends of ours, they'll be like, oh, this is a really great place. Because the last thing you want is to walk around to some bar and this, you know, some, you know, 40-year-old dudes who just, you know, pound you into the ground with one <laughs> fist. And, you know, you're just like, okay, we're definitely oddballs here. So um, <laughs> it's always nice to have those places where, like, you got to go here. Because I have those places in Atlanta that'll be like, no, nah, one night, you got to go here. You know, so I think uh, that's the times we, we look forward to. Where it's it's kind of like when you go to a, a theme park or something and, you know, they're like, this is the biggest roller coaster ever, but it looks like, you know, like you're going to die. You're like, I got to do it because it's the biggest one ever. I mean, you know, it's right here. You know, this is the best bar in the world. I mean, okay, I'll go. I'll drink your beer. Twist my arm, why don't you, you know? <laughs> so as you, as you said, you've gone back and forth in this country several times now. Yeah. And you ha- and it's obvious from what you're saying is that you, it, you do experience life and you do want to go out and see the cities mm-hmm. that you're going into. So... One of the things we never really see in interviews, and and, and especially on television interviews, are your perceptions, because you're coming out of Georgia, you're coming out of a a smaller town area, um, and you're going into the whole country, everybody's a little bit different. What perceptions of America did you have that were, like, broken and thrown to the ground (laughs) as you've toured? Like, wow, I had no idea that the country was actually this, or these people were that way, or that was, you know, this state really is screwed up. Um, you know, I mean, being from Georgia, I mean, I think we are kind of like the, you know, the redheaded stepchild, like anywhere in the South kind of for the rest of the country. Everybody kind of thinks, you know, oh, you guys are like backwoods or, you know, you, you know, racism and all this other, you know, you guys are you know, behind. Like the you have some nooses underneath your bunks. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, right. They, they think everybody's, you know, everybody down in the South just kind of doesn't get it. Like they're kind of slow and ignorant. I mean, and that's not completely wrong, you know, but. I mean, we've been everywhere else in the country, and let me tell you, there's a lot, there's a lot of slow and ignorant people who aren't Southern. <laughs> Trust me. The, the the term redneck does not strictly apply just to the South. It is everywhere, I promise. So it's, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, most of, the, most of the things you just kind of realize, like, the glitz and the glamour go away, and you start to realize, the, you know, the deep underpinnings of the cities. And you, you have your, you know, your personalities, like half our band likes L.A. more than New York, and the other half likes New York more, you know. Personally, myself, I'm a New York guy. Yeah, you seem it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the fact that you can just, you know, it's like direction paradise. You go that way and then turn right, or you go that way and turn left. There's no, you know this street goes crazy. You have two streets that go diagonal and then you're good. But New LA York, is just nuts. New York is where their emotions on their face. Exactly. 24-7. LA yeah. people, they do, uh, they, they get face jobs to hide it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, it, it just, LA is just kind of like a joke. It's like, you got the, the most beautiful country I've ever seen, like really, um, you know, minus the smog. Um, but, you know, you, and you got all this stuff, you know, California, you know, is probably the most diverse, beautiful state I've seen. And, you, but then you're gonna just 
you know, act like, you know, you're the cat's pajamas and nobody else is worth anything. And like, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. And then you're going to charge like crazy amounts for land. I mean, I don't care. I really don't. There's no way that little house costs a million dollars. I could buy, I could buy that in Atlanta right now for a hundred grand. Like, you know, you're kidding me, right? It's just people are just, I don't know. I, I'm just, there's, it's like that in New York too. I mean, not property value obviously is ridiculous there too, but it's, it's more so the living thing. It's like, I think you get more, you know, out of New York than you do LA because LA is like, wait, you've got like twice, you know, the, the amount of land here and, you know, not even uh, kind of the same amount of people, but like, what do you, do you find you a difference know? though between even the people at the label between the East coast and the West coast branches, like how they, how they act and how they react, treat you? It's like just by, I'm not trying to get you to say bad things yeah, about no, the no. label, but I'm just trying to see if there's just like, if you have to adapt the way that you behave. I think the, uh, it, it's funny to watch where, like, who they have where, because most of the, like, the management and, like, the, you know, administrative people are in New York, which, you know, that's, you get the real suit and tie, you know, feel from New York. But out in L.A., it's, like, the publicity department, the, uh, you know, the, the marketing and all this other kind of stuff. Like, you're like, okay, like, and you'll see the things that they get stoked about, you know, oh, we got this great opportunity for your band, here we go. And then you have the things in New York that they get stoked about, and you're like, Okay, well, this one's obviously very, you know, like, we got you guys in Teen Beat. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, okay, and New York's like, we got you, like, this little, little spot on MTV. It's going to be great. And we're like, okay. <laughs> so that's who gets, New York gets stoked about that and LA gets stoked. You know, you just, it's so funny just to see the different priorities because we'll be like, neither of those are really that cool. Like, you know, <laughs> like, sure, I mean, you, you think it's the best thing since sliced bread, but I've never, ever heard of that. Like, <laughs> Ever and I do this, you know. I do this. I used to be a fan. You guys really gonna miss that boat a long time. Is there ago, something so. where you guys have to educate your own label? Where because because in a yeah. way Georgia is like Ohio and the Midwest, where yeah, we are the part of the country they fly over. Mm. So New Yorkers and LA people tend to think that if it's in their world, then the whole country is aware of it or should be aware of it. Yeah. So or it should make it their priority. And so a lot of times we're trying to go back to labels and publicists and say, you don't get it out here. That doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. You know, have you found yourself doing that with your labels too? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's kind of funny sometimes where you know. I thought it'd be a good idea to do like a, a recut of Lose It and uh, like add some steel guitar and like service it to wow. pop country. Wow. Because yeah. it's really close yeah, to it. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it really yeah. is. I mean, we're yeah. from the South and there's a lot of Southern underpinnings to our music. Sure. Really listen hard. But they, um, and they were kind of like, well, that would be cool, I guess. But like, I don't really think that's something we need to concentrate on. I'm like, excuse me, where I'm from, Jesus is bigger than the Beatles, you know, like, <laughs> not in your world, but like, where we're from, it's a totally different, you know, landscape of people, and you know, people go to Walmart and buy records, and they buy Dirks Bentley, and, you know, Carrie Underwood, they don't buy, you know, good Charlotte records. Or Warped Tour 2008, or, you know, they don't, right. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, come on, if you really want to start reaching different people, I mean, who cares, you know, if if we wrote a song like, you know, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, but then we turn around and write, you know, the, you know a Keith Urban song, like, just put it out to the people who are going to listen to it. And, like, it's really funny to see uh, to see things like that transpire through labels. So why don't you just go in there and sit down and say, I'm not leaving this chair <laughs> till I can go do it. Or go do it. Like, do it like the DJs would do it. Yeah. Go record it. Release it underneath another name. Throw it on the internet for free. You're set. You know, that's that's kind of where we're at right now. You know? <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Well, I mean, okay. it, it really is. We, 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 I'll be getting the cease and desist letter pretty soon, I'm we, sure. Right? No, it really is. It's like we, uh, we, we've we really, you know, kind of come to the point where it's like labels, you know, kind of miss the boat. Like you said, they just, they think, 
And then this, and I'm not just saying this from our label. I'm no, saying I know everything. You know, you can read hits, you can read any any music publication whatsoever, and you're gonna like you're gonna see where labels are missing the boat more and more often. You know, like you have people trying to do cool things, like the format gave away their music. You know, that's mm-hmm. really awesome. They sold their DVDs at shows. Like, I think more and more bands are starting to realize that, you know, we make the music, but we don't see anything off of it. I mean, there needs to be like a band union. It's like, you know, the people who have no idea what's coming from are making the decisions, you know, on our music and we're, you know, left to catch all the hell from the fans because our label decided to do this or do that. And we're like, no, that's stupid. We don't want to exploit our fans. Like, you know, they're trying to make a buck because they're a sinking ship and we're just trying to get, you know, our name and our music out there, which is really our ultimate purpose and see people come to shows because that's what we do, you know, and... I think there's a large disconnect between what the bands want and what the labels want, and you know I, I could care less whether people download our music or they buy it. Really, I really, I really could, because I mean, in the long run, those people are going to come to shows if they download the music. They can't download a concert ticket or a T-shirt. So I mean, if if you know bands see bands always see more money off of uh, tour sales anyway, because I mean, like In Sync, perfect example. Papas can be huge, like you know would gross abnormally crazy amounts on tour. Just and I mean I don't know if they saw any of that, but their band generated that. And if they weren't, you know, like so, I guess so many people, you know, had their hands in their pockets. But uh, yeah, the guy that got busted for child porn or something yeah, in Malaysia or whatever it was. Yeah, funny story. Side there's tangent. A, there's a whole story. Uh, Lou Perlman actually, we um back in our first one of our first bands, we actually wrote a song that we thought was like really really cheesy poppy, but we needed to throw it on the demo anyway, so we did it. And the song was actually titled Lou Pearlman Eat Your Fat Heart Out. <laughs> That's serious. So I thought it was pretty funny to see that guy get his just desserts. Because he was out of Florida. That was all out yeah, of Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Orlando, yeah. all that boy band pastor. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, then, and, and now uh, Backstreet Boys have a new record out, too. So. Exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, I think bands would really get a lot further if, you know, labels were more like touring promotion institutions. Like the co-op deal, like, you know, like... Corn had with EMI that right. was like a big deal. I mean, we did one with Epic, which is great. I mean, it's like, you know, they don't, they still don't have their hands in our pockets on touring because it's like the the. Do they have your merch? Not, no, not until right. a certain point, and even then, it's oh. still like really not even that big. What a certain deal. level of sales, or a certain level like years, or a certain, certain level, level of touring. Touring, like okay. not until we could sell like five thousand caps out. Okay. I mean, I don't. I thought at first I was like, well. You know, if you got if you sold X amount of records, you'd probably be selling out five five thousand caps. Okay, and like now being you know a lot more seasoned and touring, that's a you you're pretty fucking huge when you're right. selling out five thousand caps. So I mean, at that point in time, it's gonna be like, okay, well, sure, go ahead and take it because if you had something to do with us getting to this point, then there you go. And now, if the band starts to come down again, then does it revert back to you? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Hopefully at that point in time, it's sayonara, see you later anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's when you're the caddy bitch. Not, right? not that when you're, yeah, exactly. Not that when you're flowing down the ladder from 5,000, you're at all put out, but. Right, you know, no, exactly. Um. 3,000 isn't that bad. <laughs> not bad at all. We still haven't done it, so. Apparently we're still, you know, scraping by, but. The, um. I think bands need to start doing that. Just put your most, put your shit out for free, man. Download it. Like, I mean, kids would be probably more stoked about that anyway because, you know, whether you – like, I still think downloading music is kind of stealing because it's just sure. not a physical product. doesn't mean it's not, you know, taking something away that didn't mm-hmm. cost money, you know. But if there's nothing you can do about it, there's nothing you can do about it. And that's just the way I see it. I think the IRA suing people is just dumb. It just does, it doesn't do anything to solve your purpose. Like, that's a way to get people to buy records, sue them out of the only 10 bucks they have to give to you anyway. 
So, I mean, I guess they're getting theirs regardless, but... Well, it's um, the lawyers. It's the lawyers. Yeah, and, it's you know, just, and, but that's their job. It's just like you know, some of the people around you that are there to say no, yeah. uh, to sort of defend you. Some of these people are there to, you know, to legally go down the contractual rules for all this stuff and figure out like what the hell. And no, we you can't give that away. You can't give it away. And YouTube is copyright infringement, and this yeah. is copyright infringement. MySpace is copyright infringement. And everybody's a copyright. So sue everybody, and that's all they can think of. And they're not understanding the world around them is changing. But you know, I'm just kind of wondering if, uh, and then we're gonna take our first music break. But mm-hmm. when you go to dinner and lunch with the label people, mm-hmm. um, and and they and the bosses are gone. So it's just you and the publicist or you and the A&R person or you and the product manager or you or somebody like that on radio or something like that. What is their, um, what's their mood? Because the what we're hearing on our side is that if you're working in a major company, mm. even if it's Universal, who's the stable of out of all the stable, um, they're scared. Mm. They're scared and they don't know what the heck's going on around them. And what's the vibe you're getting? Are you getting that or is it something different? It's... You know, like I said, it comes down to who's the straight shooters, and who, you know, and who aren't. Mm-hmm. By now, we've we've learned, you know, who to go to lunch with. And we, really? <laughs> so we we go to lunch with you know the straight shooters, and you know we talk to them about you know what's going on. Even the people who aren't the straight shooters, like you know, we just kind of come right out. You know, what's going on with this? Like, and I think you know when you ask people on a personal level, like away from like, okay, if you weren't involved, like if if your you know livelihood wasn't at stake here, what would you think? You know, most of them are. You know, like, well, I think, you know, they do a lot better to try to change their business model. Because, I mean, whether they like it or not, the business model has changed. And they're just trying to stick a square peg in a round hole. And it's just dumb at this point. I mean, they could, you know, if they just pulled all their stuff away, just took a six-month hiatus and reformulated all their strategies and everything to, like, music being free and concentrating more on growing a band's, like, touring ability or even you know, marketability through, you know, other avenues, mm-hmm. then I think music would be in a lot better place because at that point in time, the label's less concerned about the music you're making and the, you know, singles going on the radio, more so concerned about what the fans are going to think and growing that. Because it was like that, you know, by the 60s and 70s, labels owned their own buses. They would take a band and they put them on tour with a bunch of other bands that they, you know, had in their stable and they'd go out on tour and that's, you know, where most of the classic tours came from. Mm-hmm. What happened to that? You know, they started making money and they started, you know, sitting in offices rather than getting out there and seeing the bands on tour and seeing how the fans react. You know, you're never going to have a five-minute long single ever again. You know, in fact, they're getting increasingly shorter. I mean, look at Lose It. It's like two and a half minutes almost. Not Mm -hmm. that we did that on purpose, but it's like, you know, if those are what singles they're picking, it's like, you know, where's the hope to have anything, you know, to have another Karma Police or something like that? It's not going to happen. But doesn't the downloading culture, though, allow it to have a five or six minute song now or have a big orchestral song? I mean, we're like, no, literally, because, you know, like a Rush song or something like some of their classic records um, and like Yes and things where you Genesis, early Genesis records, where you've got these things that are like movements. They're like, you know, Bach movements or something. And and because now the time restraint is gone, you don't have to, you know, we only got 40 some minutes on a record, Mm -hmm. you know, or we only have 70 some minutes uh, on a CD or something that we have. Now with an MP3, you could release a 20 minute song. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So it gives you as a musician more creative freedom to create that next, you know, 1812 overture of pop music. Yeah. I I think that's the, uh, that's the thing. I mean, with the on, like, like AOL radio or any of the, like the big radio things, like you have, that happening. I mean, you have it where, you know, singles are long and, you know, they're full played out, not uncut Walmart versions, you know, but they, um, <laughs> cleaned up, stripped up. Yeah. I mean, right. 
I mean, I I haven't listened to the radio like more than maybe a couple hours, and most of that's like talk radio because it's the only thing really worth listening to on the radio much more. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it's, you know, like I don't I, if I have all these, you know, I have. 40 gigs in iTunes, what, like, that's not going to beat or trump anything that Top 40's got to play or anything on the radio station. Plus, my car doesn't get great radio reception anyway. But, um, <laughs> it's, I, I think more people are going to the internet to find what they, you know, want to find. And, like, we've, we've noticed, like, our, our growth has especially been very, very strongly internet-based. So, I mean, we definitely appreciate that far more than, than uh, terrestrial radio, if you will. But, um... Because I, I think XM and Sirius have something good going on, but of course they they're gonna have to figure their business woes out too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, how is that gonna how's that gonna pan out? But as yeah. as more and more people, as the iPhone takes more, uh, and iPhone clones mm-hmm. take more market share, and people will be able to just sign on to the internet from their phone, then web radio takes over. Mm-hmm. But only if these FCC rules and the royalty arrangements for web radio get worked out. Because right now it just seems like if you're an independent radio station online, you're not going to be able to afford to pay the royalty payments. Yeah, and, well, and you know, this is the uh, the business world needs to catch up with Wall Street, and then everybody rode the the internet boom up, and then when the internet boom, the internet started to take over all their other business platforms. So they got to now figure out how they latch on and mm-hmm. catch up with the internet now. So I think it's uh it's it's pretty funny to watch all that transpire just in the world in general besides the music industry but I think the music industry is the most like I guess transparent in that sense. Let's let's uh for this first music break let's have a little fun and let's go back to when you were in high school and you <laughs> your first bands you were skidding into because I I saw the two bands names and I I don't remember there were two bands that you were actually in originally um, oh, before uh, Cartel. Last Chance That's and right. Summer's Disregard. That's right. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So so <laughs> With those, like, what two songs were the ones that you were jamming out in your bedroom to air guitar-wise that kind of kept you going, like, this is what I'm going to do for my life. I'm going to play. In those days? Yeah. Um, I would say, let's see, it's 15 years. I would say Newfound Glory, Hit or Miss. That was one, um, for sure. Um, but the second one, definitely, that's going to trip some people out. Um, it was actually, and, and guilty oh, pleasures are fine, by the no, way. No, no, so it's, if it's you know, at that point in time, that was when I was you know, vegan, straight edge, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so, so awesome. That, that's back in you know the cut days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I probably had to say hot water music. Um, I actually terrible with um, with uh, with song names, but I, it was numbered. Th- God damn it, it was number three off forever and counting. And I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of hot water music, but okay. I know Scott knows all their stuff by the back of his hand. Okay. Scott Heisel, so I will ask him, and he will probably They're Southern boys kind of. He'll be asleep. I'll text him. him. He'll tell me in his sleep what the name of the song was, because <laughs> that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah. And I know John, our engineer, can attest to that. Um, well, that's great. Let's listen to these two songs. We'll be right back with AP Podcast.
Yeah, Hot Water Music was, uh, uh, they're from Gainesville, Florida, so, like, we, they, they always played Atlanta, and I actually never got to see him play live, but, like, really, everybody in the band, like, um, just really, really loves them, and I had their, uh, yeah, I have all the records and everything just from, I guess, bouncing off of them, but we started to learn this song when I was, like, in one of the first bands, they were like, oh, we gotta play this song, and I was like, oh, just show me how to play that, and he showed me how to play it, and I was like, okay, cool, and we'd, like, jam it out. I had no idea what it was, and then they finally played the song for me. I was like, wow. It was really, you know, it kind of blows your mind. all the guitars and the bass players going nuts, and it's just really, you stick your finger in the air. It doesn't matter if you can sing or not kind of music. So I think <laughs> in high school, that's really great because you just get in parties and, because you're not drunk. All you can do is scream. So, you know. <laughs> Faux drunk. Yeah, exactly. Right, where you think, right. You just get really, really caffeinated on, on soda, and yeah. then you just, you know, like that's about as close as you're going to get unless somebody's really good and got a really nice older brother. Exactly. And their parents are out of town for not a while. Um, yeah, you know, I always really found it was interesting because, like, when I was uh, younger, uh, my mom threw me into a guitar class in mm -hmm. middle school, and I just, and then she, then I tried piano. I tried to do piano, and I couldn't do piano. And I, I was just something about it. I don't know what the hell was the matter with me. I could not get. I really wanted to be a pianist, and I really wanted to be a guitarist. I wanted to be a rock and roll guitarist. You know, like just that was it. Yeah. Whole thing, man. It just didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. And years and years later, and I, all of a sudden, I noticed myself sitting at diners with all my goth friends, and I was tapping on the table. And somebody said, "You got good rhythm." <laughs> And I'm like, really? And I'd, yeah, and I would you know, like go out and I'd go hit the clubs with some friends and, and like, you dance really well. You've got good rhythm. And I'm like, really? I'm like, really? I didn't think about it. And so then I, I was like, well, and I started playing around with drums and that was my instrument. And you started with trumpet yeah. and then you had a guitar. It was like, was it the same thing like square peg, round hole? Or was it kind of like, I didn't want to do the guitar. I, was, I didn't want to do trumpet. I always wanted a guitar and I was just doing it because my mom was forcing me to do it. And... Yeah, no, um, I don't know, when we... Uh... I was, I was always kind of musical, but just more so in the sense of like I was an only child. So, like in the summers, my mom she was a stay at home mom. My dad just went and bust his ass all day. Mm. Uh, we'd go, you know, we'd go out to eat. Or we'd go to the mall. We go grocery shopping, and you know, she always listened to like the soft rock station sure. in, our, uh, in our town. And this is like early '90s, so um, and most of the time it was you know like Genesis or Phil Collins or Journey or anything like that. So all those like big. Open arms. Power about, yeah, exactly. Over again, over, all and over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly, and Amy Grant and all that jazz. <laughs> um, it, uh, it's kind of, I guess, got me into always kind of listening, always kind of singing. It's I found out, like, you know, I was like eight or nine or ten, I, we would go in and be like, oh, I know what's going to, I know what word's going to come next. You know, okay, you said start, and now you're going to say heart. Okay, yeah, there it is, you know. And, uh, you know, whether it was just subconsciously from listening to the songs over and over again, it finally just got, you know, burned in my memory and I just knew it was going to come next or whether it was kind of starting to feel how songs were written. Um, you know, I, I just kind of always kind of had that and just, would, you know, I would sing, you know, we'd go to church and I'd sing and all that stuff and uh, sing with my mom and all those kind of things. But um, then once I finally got third grade, third or fourth grade, they uh, they came by, you know, they were starting a band program at school, you know, does anybody want to play any instruments, sign up, you know, we'll get you instruments at a discounted price, you know, there'll be rentals and all this stuff. Oh, awesome. And, you know, we'll come in and we'll just do a little ensemble. So I was like, cool, you know. So third grade, I was like, well, what'd be cool? And like, we went to a music store and I was just going to try a bunch of instruments out. And like, I, I couldn't really get the woodwinds thing. It was like, I would never really was good with a kazoo and you got to have, kind of have to have that. <laughs> Which is funny because, like, with a singer, like... It would be interesting to hear, honestly, on a kazoo. It would. You know? Yeah, I, know. I think it could be really nice. We need to go ahead and do it. Could yeah, be another remix. remix. Exactly. 
exactly. <laughs> and you know what? The label will probably take that one. Oh, they definitely would. <laughs> cool. Yeah, Weird Al Yankovic. We'll sell it. Kids him. Bop. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, anyway. Yeah. Sorry. So, I, I could never really get the woodwinds, which is really kind of weird because being a singer, eventually, like you would think I'd have a little bit more of like a better breath control with those since the inflection is okay. really, yeah, yeah. really important with those. Um, but I like the trumpet just because it was loud and felt like I could, you know, really just belt it out there. And um, so picked up the trumpet pretty easily, um, went through it, and, like, I got braces in seventh grade. So I played trumpet for, like, four and a half years. And once I got braces, it was all done. Yeah, it's done. There. It just it's hurt done, yeah. too bad. I was like, well. And about the same time, I was, like, 12, 13, my dad, uh, my dad had bought me an acoustic guitar just to kind of mess around with because I was really big into the trumpet and music and all this other stuff. And I would learn how to play songs on trumpet, you know, that I would have a guitar on them. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones was just awesome, you know. Right, of course, um, right. Yeah. Uh, but then, uh, you know, obviously the braces came along and just picked up the guitar and it kind of just, kind of just kind of fit. I don't know. It's like I would learn the, the songs I would play on trumpet, learn them, you know, just single string on guitar and then started to finally get the chords. You know, I could play a G and then I could play a D and I could play E and okay, I'm good. And uh, it just kind of kept going from there. Did then, it feel natural though? Uh, it was... Or did you kind of feel like you were forcing it for a while? I, mean, I think I, a lot of young musicians struggle yeah. with that. They don't know, like, is this really what I'm supposed to be playing? Yeah. I, th I think you. Th there's a point in time where you learn how to feel it rather than learning how to play it. There's a total difference. That is the key, isn't yeah. it? About any instrument. Yeah, it, it definitely is. You got to kind of unite with it. You know, it's like using your hands. You just got to make it another part of your body. And um, I wish, I, I wish I would have learned piano around the same time with the trumpet because, like, now mm. I'm just kind of starting to play around with piano and kind of figure out stuff. Um, but I think piano and guitar go to go together a lot better. Just because of the left hand, right hand kind of stuff. If you get really good with that in piano, like and you pick that up to guitar, you're just virtuoso instantaneously. You know, mm. so um, I, don't know, I, I guess I'm kind of trying to do it backwards now. Where take my guitar skills to the piano. It's bad because I'm more of a rhythm guitarist, so I'm not used to the different picking schemes. Where get my right hand good, so my left hand is more kind of stagnant. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, you can kind of probably listen to some of our songs at piano and be like, yeah, his left hand kind of sucks. <laughs> I actually record it separately when we, when we, I don't uh, know, John, will auto tune fix a bad pianist? I don't know. No, no I don't think so. I, I just record left hand chords separately. <laughs> yeah, it's true. There you go. Fun fact. <laughs> um, you know, I do want to talk about the, um, the, the band in a bubble scenario, but I want mm -hmm. to put this in a different context. Okay. Something that's probably going to be a relief to you, actually. <laughs> but literally, just this yeah. morning, I got a press release in the mail for a um, uh, Columbia Records, obviously, uh, funny enough, uh, Nicole Atkins. And this is how the announcement on this press release reads mm -hmm. um, Nicole Atkins makes Google Trends list following pr premiere of American Express commercial aired during the PGA tournament. And so they basically go on to say that uh, now she's going to be on Letterman and she's going to be on Conan O'Brien and everything because of this commercial. Mm -hmm. And um, and there's an op-ed. I'm not trying to plug for you know uh, just for vanity reasons, but there's an op-ed in this month's issue. Um, Pete Wentz. He's almost got his name trademarked. You just say Pete, yeah, yeah, and everybody yeah. knows it's him. Um, but he did an op-ed. He just got a hold of us and he's like, I want to do an op-ed and I want to do it about. Uh, bands and sponsorship and corporate deals and things like that and and trying to just make a point that things have changed right now and he made his his one of his statements in the new op-ed and it's actually an issue that you're um, 
your uh, idol worship with uh, uh, with uh, Daniel, Daniel Johns, yeah. yeah, yeah, from Silverchair, um, is in. So it's the one with every time I die on it, guys. So you can go out and get that issue. I'm wearing that shirt. Yeah, there we are. Hey, it's coincidence. Damn. I mean, today's wow. Um, hopefully, no, no locusts in the yeah. sky today. Um, but Pete writes, as the future of the music business unfolds, consider this. If Dell Computers offered, insert credible indie artist name here, enough money to allow him to give away his albums for free to everyone, would that be selling out or would that be a win for everyone? If having American Express sponsor a tour allow Fall Out Boy to keep ticket prices to half of what others charge, is that taking corporate sponsors too far? Um the record business may be over, but the business of music has a very fertile future. We are the brand, which allows us to allows us the time to keep being creative and stop thinking about ways to scrape by or constantly sit on the phone with our business managers. While you think about the win-win possibilities of the convergence of bands and brands, I'm off to get the next Nike tattoo I was talking about earlier. And he was referring to the fact that you know if if Nike's gonna if he's gonna put a Nike tattoo on him and it's gonna allow him to go do things creatively and 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 have the freedom to do it financially, he's gonna do it. And that bands need to start thinking about other ways to be making money to support themselves and not rely on the label, not rely on the CD necessarily. Yeah. And and that the fans need to start rethinking that. As well, it's like that whole argument. Remember, like we were growing up, like indie label, major label. Oh, they're on a major label, they suck. And an indie label, it's automatically good. Not necessarily true. So it's kind of like with you. Where do you think your band is with this position now? As much as this evolving business model mm -hmm. and the cartel brand, as Pete says, speaks yeah. of. I think you know, with the bubble thing, it definitely threw us into that. I guess arena of a uh, business with the band. So it's. Because it so, was a branding thing, very much yeah. so. It was a branding thing. It was to get your name out there to be remembered. Mm -hmm. Did people say, oh, yeah, that was the band. and That was the thing I saw on MTV. It was, yeah. yeah, it was I them. Mean, truthfully, I mean, there's two things that, like, we really had a big gripe about that, you know, like, I guess, you know, we, we weren't going to go in there and bitch about it while we were doing it, like, doing interviews, you know, like, it was well, I really wish they would have done this, Bob, you know, like, <laughs> we're not going to do that because, you know, that, that doesn't help anybody out. But, you know, it's like, we would have... You know, one, we would have not had it called Band in a Bubble. You know, regardless of how ridiculous that thing looks or anything, you know, like they could have made it pink and, you know, like really like, you know, like 70s out and inside and all this stuff. They could have made it, you know, every worst thing possible. Just don't call it Band in a Bubble. Like we tried to get them to change the name, but at that point in time, they're, they're like, no, 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 the name's out of the question. I'm like, God, well, and it was originally supposed to be really, really cool. Like everything we saw in there was just going to be completely music-based, and the TV show is more just kind of like spectator, like documentary style, not hmm. not like, you know, TV show, will they get it done style, Reality you know? show. Yeah, kind of it, so it, it they was, go overboard like that. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. I mean, originally they told us it was going to be like four or five songs, and we are like, okay. And then, like, they came back and, like, okay, it's going to be, be the whole thing and you're going to have to do it in 20 days. And we're like, well, I mean, we've done that before. So, okay, they can't get any shorter than that. <laughs> like, like we, we've, done, we've done that before, no problem. We don't have to mix it in 20 days. That's fine, yeah. And cool. just for the record, the, so the fans out there that maybe don't, have not seen the show or weren't aware right. of it, or those, those cartel people out there, that, that, uh, or non-cartel people, actually, I should say, the, the point was to go in there and write record and mix am i correct no, it was like no, you were supposed we, to do the we, whole thing write and record yeah write and record the whole record in this bubble hanging over times square for 20 days and like what uh, what the story was is that the 10th day the the window busted out from the glass uh, from the wind yeah, yeah supposedly yeah 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 it was uh yeah they had that tropical storm that kind of went oh, that's by right, yeah. new york out in the atlantic and it you got some pretty strong winds out there. I mean, it was actually out on the pier. 
Okay, original, that's right. Yeah, Pier Fifty. It was originally okay. supposed to be in time. Like there was a lot. That's of right. Things. Right, right, right. Sorry, right. right. There's a change. lot of things about it that never really occurred, just because it's kind of more like we can give you all this, and then oh, actually we can only give you this. Sorry, you know, like that kind of thing. So we're like, oh well, okay, maybe it'll still be cool. So and, was that the other part that was missing from it? That it was like the second part that you were talking about? No, I, I think more so that they. Uh, when, we, when it was originally going down, like we were gonna have, like it was basically gonna be cartel exposure, where it, like our in our heads it was, you know, when they have billboards about it, it's gonna have a picture of our band, cartel, and Dr Pepper sign next to it, and okay, like I get it, like that's still corporate branding, whatever, but it wasn't sure. gonna be like Dr Pepper featuring cartel, you know, like what, like that's weird. Our ass is on the line. It's not like people are gonna stop drinking Dr Pepper, you know. You were the also starring tag, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it's like, come on, you know, you're trying to draw our fans to this, and new people, like new people, aren't gonna come if they don't know who we are. So you really should rely on our fans to make this big for you. Um, and they didn't really, you know, kind of latch on to the idea that they should make it about us and not about their Dr Pepper sign everywhere. Um, but they. Uh, I don't know. I guess that we should we should have known better, but you know that's that's live and let. But it was um was that a matter of getting trapped in the machine? Yeah, I mean things. You know, it's like yeah. it's like a bigger machine that revolves yeah. when you're not aware of it, and yeah, you're yeah. kind of like. I mean, had we been, you know, a bigger band with like a million records sold, I'm sure we would have had a lot more clout. But you know, you know, in the end, it's like you know the decisions get made, and that thing was, I mean, it was cool in the fact that, <coughs> excuse me, that um, so many people were involved. I mean, if you could have been there to see the, like, just the circus it was, it was crazy. It was very, very, very real. And, like, you know, um, and they they did a good job for what they had, but I just think, like, they would do it be- do better the second time. And, um, you know, I think it was fun to be, you know, the first to do it. And, you know, like with the glass thing, like, we all thought that they would, like, that was almost the last straw for me because I was just talking about, like, I mean, if that glass breaks, I am fucking out of here. I'm gone. Really? You, know? you, were at, you were at that point? Okay. Well, it was only, it was kind of a joke just to say, and like, okay, well, if the bubble, you know, if, if something malfunctions, you know, I'm gone. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a funny thing. Like, okay. I'm going to run All down right. there and I'm going to get a pizza and come back, you know? Right, right. All right. Um, And uh, like, not five seconds later, just blew out. And I was like, oh. we were all just completely freaked out because it exploded. Like, it wasn't just like, you know, shattered and fell. Like, there were pieces of glass like thirty, like thirty feet away from it, like all the way back in the bathroom hallway, like probably flew by one of our heads because we were all standing in the kitchen. It was just like it was crazy. So um, it was like a that was that was the funniest night because it was just freezing and you know the wind's blowing right into it and we're just like you know <laughs> trying to sleep. Uh, it was um, it, it was pretty hilarious overall, like all the way through. Like it was very surreal. Like looking back at it, it's just like you know two things I learned is. You know, one, always keep your underwear on, and two, <laughs> never take your kids to the zoo because those animals hate their lives. I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. I mean, do you do you do you see the uh, your your the the future though? Um, are you already seeing down that road where the way you're making money now is going to already have to be adapted in about two years from now? Are you kind of <laughs> already? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like. You know, because the, the problem with giving music away for free is that, you know, bands, you know, they don't get their record advance. They don't get their, uh, you know, unless that was like, you know, they, they shrunk the cost of recordings, which recordings that cost that much are just you're ridiculous. I've, I've heard some really amazing recordings come out of stuff that, you know, cost $20,000. You're spending $200,000 on a record. It's just completely foolish. Unless you have to buy all your songs, in which case then you got to spend a lot more. But we, we won't get into that. Um... <laughs> But, uh, 
yeah, I mean, the, the problem is, is that you don't get, well, you don't get publishing advances because the publishing company, it doesn't like, if you're giving away for free, why does, you know, Miramar have to pay you, you know, $20,000 to use your song in their soundtrack? You know, except maybe people are going to buy the soundtrack, but then it's just a compilation. So just give it away for free as a compilation, you know, like it, your your funds for recording music completely go away, which for a lot of people, you know, band wise, that would kind of kind of tweak them out a little bit. <laughs> but um, then, you, you know, but if you focus towards the touring side and can figure out ways to generate revenue that way, then the business, you know, it's kind of just kind of switched over. But it's yeah, it brings up a lot of questions. So um it's it's kind of a tough pickle. I'm glad I'm not the one to have to figure it out. <laughs> but I mean, now this seems to be a great equalization because of the internet and MySpace and yeah. pure volume and stuff like that. So now, not only I mean, you made a comment at one in one interview I read where you had said, you know, how many bands that come out of um, uh, Georgia and um, and you know Conyers, Georgia, you know, and and sold two hundred thousand records. Yeah, you know, and it's like, and that's not the case. But now because of those, because of the internet. Now that band that it is down the street from you that you've been competing for gigs with at mm-hmm. the local bar, they have just as much of it if they're talented. They have just as much of a shot getting recognized as you do. Mm-hmm. And so now, not only is Cartel competing with the Panics and competing with the you know uh, the Bad Religions and you're competing with the the, the Fall Out Boys and stuff, you're all trying to compete for uh, MTV exposure and that sort of thing. But now you're also competing with 40 million other bands. That are just starting up. That are that are trying to. You know, you've got two hundred and um, what was the count I saw? Two as of this morning, you had uh, two hundred and three thousand three hundred eighty-three friends on MySpace. Mm-hmm. So now you've had these other bands, and that's all they're doing is just trying to get more and more MySpace friends, even get anywhere near that, just to be on a level with you. Mm-hmm. And so down, just the competition heat kind of feel a little different for you, like like now you got to look behind you a little bit more often than you would think. Yeah, I mean we've, I mean. Like even closer to home than just you know the the band down the street. It's like, uh, you know, like two bands we've toured with, you know, like Boys Like Girls and Paramore, like blew up. You know, <laughs> they're way past us now almost. You know, so it's like, uh, you know, you have to think about things. That it's just like, it's really a, a free for all out there. Like you said, it's and especially like from you know, like there's a band in Atlanta called City Sleeps that. <laughs> Like I don't, I think they're just about to release something. On reg- I, I really, truly, unfortunately, lost touch with the Atlanta local music scene just because we're gone all the time. It's like we're not really local anymore, <laughs> so it's uh, it's hard to really kind of hear what's going on. But um, found out about this band, and you know they they're going and you know selling out places in Atlanta that you know that we didn't sell out that quick early, and we're just like, oh, well, that's that's good. You know, I think overall it's it's about more and more music being out there, and I think what we've realized is, you know, you've got bands don't sell a million records anymore you know you sell three or four hundred thousand records you've done a pretty good job like you know anything above that means you had a hit it really um but even to get to that level you have to have some sort of like menial success and something else mm-hmm. besides just your fans you know um so it's you know it gets difficult to you know figure out you know what you're gonna do when uh when you have bands that just can eclipse you so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the point is that, you know, the internet does make it fair for everybody. And if you can have, you know, maybe a hundred more bands in your, you know, line of sight because of the inter- internet, and maybe one of those bands turns out to be like one of your favorites, even though they're, you know, 20 minutes away from you and the recording kind of sucks, it's still the music. And, you know, if somehow, you know, things kind of got leveled out and the music was a little more, I guess, uh, 
socialist, I guess, in the sense mm-hmm. of things. Um, and those bands had the opportunity, and I guess by opportunity, I mean the money to like record good recordings and put it out there. They, you know, you could have a band way better than anything we've ever heard that just doesn't have the the mon- uh, Sorry, the money. I was going to say funds and money at the same time and say muns. It's going to have the uh, <laughs> the funds to get out there and you know do it the way the other bands do it. Then you know you, you could have a whole new set of circumstances where you know eventually all this recording stuff is going to be real easy. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, yeah. People are going to make great recordings for nothing, and what happens then? So it's 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 never changing thing, and I think that's why music is the best thing ever because you know it it almost creates more of a unified world kind of thing because if you can have some kid you know in war-torn iraq sitting with a computer and writing songs and putting it out and the entire world can listen to it then it's kind of like you get this world voice kind of thing it's real hippie you know <laughs> but it's cool that, that's what music's about you know i think that's something a lot of people have lost sight of and while the business end still has to you know function just as any business does i mean you know, I think that they just need to figure out something to, you know, to work around it. And I think, you know, me as a musician, I'm going to do my part and keep writing music and keep trying to get it to the fans. And hopefully fans keep paying attention, which I don't think they're going to go away. Why would they? So, um, you know, it's just an ever-changing thing that we all have to get a hold of. And hopefully we all grow together because of it. So this next music break, what are, you, what are the two songs that you want to turn listeners right now onto that you're checking out? Ooh. You're DJ. Ooh. Um, I know, only two. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, what, what, what do I think? Um, it has to be a song that you get up in the morning, you pop that baby right on the iPod, and that's the one. That's true. Um, all right, we're going to go with, uh, there's a band called, or I, I should say an artist called Citizen Cope. Okay, yeah. Uh, Hurricane Waters. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the song. Um, and, uh, what's the meat? What's, how's that one? You just, what do you like about that one? Well, actually, I, w- I was hanging out with our A and R, and it's place in New York. We uh, actually after the um, the AP interview. Okay. Uh, uh, we were hanging out there, and we were just listening to some music. I was like, my flight was like four hours from then, so we were just chilling. And um, he he was like, "Have you heard of this band?" I was like, "No." And he played it for me. I was like, Man, "This is dope." Because I'm a big Three Eleven fan, so I right. and, you know Dave Matthews and all the kind of like organic rock kind of stuff really, really you know resonates. So. Uh, this guy, he just kind of fit right in. I was like, yeah, because I'm in more of the kind of soul stuff, like mm-hmm. using some horns and you know, R&B kind of flair, but like older stuff, like Sam Cooke and, you know, like, but not like Sam right. Cooke, like, you know, it's like change is going to come kind of Sam Cooke, um, Stevie Wonder, stuff like that. So I really think that's um, that's why he's so good. He kind of like kind of involves all that. And his drum sounds are fantastic, too. Mm. But uh, second song, we're going to go, let's see. I think something that cartel fans should listen to, if they want to understand our second record maybe a little better, would be to listen to Radiohead Airbag. That not that we sound like Radiohead, but, but uh, Airbag was one of like the biggest songs to me when we were actually in the bubble. I listened to that every night going to sleep. That like just started that record and just let it through, and I was asleep by the end of Karma Police. So, and that's that's what you mean by so they understand the second record better. Are you insinuating that some don't understand the second record? Uh, I would, or just uh, maybe the context of it? Uh, I think contextually and musically, I think like we kind of, you know, there's progress and then there's leaps. And I think we kind of, somewhere in between progress and leap. I think some of our fans kind of wish that Chroma 2 came out. Yeah. A little more catchier stuff. But, I mean, cause it's, we had like five songs on the record that are, you know, kind of kind of like Chroma. Then you've got like the last half of the record where you're like, where, you know, where'd that come from? Um, so hopefully like, They'll kind of understand where we're, 
know, maybe we went too far, some people think, and you know, we'll bring it back to the next record, but you know, we'll see what transpires. Cause I think we just got into writing like intricate music, and mm-hmm. Radiohead was one of the big things for me when when we were writing those songs and recording. So I think some of the production techniques and some of the sounds, because some people have said, like, the guitars sound really thin. I'm like, it's because it's only one guitar. <laughs> it's not like, you know, doubled, like, tripled, quadrupled, like all these recordings you hear, you know. So, yeah. I, I was actually going to wonder if, if, the re- if the reason why the second record sounded a little bit different as well, because the from what I've heard you say in the past was that the, the embryos, I think was the word you mm-hmm. used, for a lot of these songs was done on Warp Tour 2006. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there was a difference in the type of music that was being created as you were out on Warp Tour versus something you would have done like when you did with Chroma and previous work. Yeah. Um, I think Warp Tour, we had a lot the more... The atmosphere t- brought something different to you. Yeah, I mean, we we were chilling out in the back of the bus a lot just because it's so hot. You know, like, you right. know, you, you, when you get together, you know, and you listen to music and you're, you know... Uh, involving yourself in activities that require to be in the back lounge with the windows open, you start <laughs> uh, you start to think about things a little bit differently, especially musically. And when you know Joseph's a, our resident music nerd, so he uh, he comes back and plays. Have you heard the new you know uh, what, the Black Mountain Orchestra or something like that, or Godspeed You Black Emperor? I think is what the name is. Um, or like uh, the new Animal Collective, dude. You got to hear this. And we we're just like, wow, this is crazy. This is awesome. You know, you start to just get more influences and. I think we just kind of synthesized those a little quicker than people would have imagined, uh, especially after Chroma. Like, I was writing songs on Chroma when I was like 19. You know, I was 22 writing these songs. You know, I turned 23 in May, so it's. I think uh, you know it's just a little bit of age thing there. And I mean, I, you know, we're still we're still cartel. We didn't go anywhere. We still write pop songs. Just wait. But you know, I think uh, yeah, I think hopefully our, we want to have our fans be people who are musically learned and hopefully we'll you know listen to other things besides just pop all right we'll cut listen to these songs we'll come right back because i do want to talk to you about um this this next record and the evolution cool we'll be right back
interesting and i was talking to uh ryan from yellow card about this um and that is you 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 kind of alluded to the next record like well maybe we'll go back and do a little bit of chroma mm-hmm. you know and um and it, there seems to be this push pull thing between a band and its fan base and it takes a aware artist to understand that early on mm-hmm. that Yes, I want to evolve because I am not 19 anymore. I am now 23, 24, 25. I'll be 30. I am not. I'm not thinking like I was 19. I don't have the same anger issues as I had then, yeah. or the heartbreaks, or something like that. And um, you know, with MXPX, they were started out single and right in high school. And by the time they wrote the last record, they were married. You know, and, and we're getting ready to have kids. And so their worldview changes, yeah. and so their music changes. And but their fans want the first record so it's like how do you reconcile that as a band do you guys actually like are there are there discussions on the bus and you're driving between detroit and chicago and everybody's burnt out and tired and somebody's like god why do we have to play that damn song stuff you know why can't we grow you know it's like i don't want to play freaking honestly anymore i want to do this thing radiohead homage or something yeah, i don't know what i think we were uh, for us actually it's been kind of the reverse of that like um, where people want to, like, uh, the band, I guess, consensus is it's harder to break into the new, more experimental stuff and trying to, like, the, I guess, just newer stuff in general. It's harder to break into that and leave the older stuff kind of in the wake than it is to, uh, to do the opposite. Um, so they, uh, in the sense of more so everybody wants to still play the, the old stuff because, like, you know, Kevin being drummer, you know, he's real energetic. We got the drums. We're gonna play drums. You know, and like, you know, for us, you know, we're not playing drums. You know, for an hour and a half. You know, that's that takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort. You know, they, um, and so he'll look out. You know, songs like you know, Lonely One on the new record or something. And, you know, instead of kids like moshing and jumping around because it's not one of those songs. You know, they'll be sitting there and just kind of doing this, and he'll think it's kind of boring. And so we were like, okay, well, you know, he's like, man, we should we should play the older stuff, man. We got to play the EP songs, man. We got to do you know, it's like. 
yeah, but dude, like, you know, that's, you know, that's maybe what some of the fans want, but like, you know, who are you? I mean, we're, we're not in this for the fans, you know, like fans are awesome and they, they are the reason, the one reason why we can do this, but we started this band for us, not, you know, we started this band because we want to listen. Like I listened to our music just because I, that's the kind of, I, I took the, I guess the uh, approach early on that I wanted to write songs that I would want to listen to. Um, and that's, I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I do that. I do listen to it. So it's for Kevin, um, you know, sometimes he, I guess it doesn't feel the same way. Cause it is more fun when you have the kids out there going nuts and, you know, hands in the air and everybody's going to it. But, you know, sometimes it's just like, you just want people to sit back and just listen for a second. Just listen to me. You know, that's all, that's, that's all you want as an artist really. It's just somebody to listen to you. And sometimes it takes, you know, honestly to, <laughs> to get them to listen. But, um, but yeah, it is definitely a push and pull of trying to figure out like whether your artsy side is what your band is meant to be, or whether it's you know maybe you were just meant to write chroma type songs. You know, it's it's kind of hard to. Uh, Would to it bum you out time. though if that was the case? Uh, if the, if this record came out and, and I yeah. would everywhere, <laughs> not jinxing. I am not jinxing, but if this record came out and sold half of what chroma did. Mm -hmm. And Chris Black sat down with you guys and said, guys, Roddy's on the wall. You know, message yeah. boards say it, labels calling me up on the phone. They're not going to put out another record until, you know, you give them Chroma 2. Right. Would you guys sit there? I mean, the drummer's obviously going to be happy, but I mean, <laughs> but it was really just on Kevin, by the way. He's, it, he's a great dude. Okay, so, he loves music, but you know. no, I understand what you say, but you know, but you know, there's always that issue in a band rehearsal when somebody yeah, brings in the new song and then they go, the other guy goes, You're not going to make me play at that speed. Yeah, you're exactly. Just not, yeah. You're not. Um, but the uh, but but it's like, would you guys be resistant to it? Would you be sitting there ugh, or would you see the writing on the wall and say, You got to give the market what the market wants? I mean, that's, and then there you get to the question, you know, what is selling out? <laughs> you know, like, is, is going into a bubble selling out or is selling out writing music that people want to hear that you don't want to play? You know, that's the... <laughs> right, Which right, one's right. which there? People, figure it out. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I don't think it'd bum me out because I think the way we'd react to it, just being the, like, we're, we're like that, this or that guy who's like, He's 5'9", he's kind of buff, he probably could beat your ass, or and you could probably beat his ass too, but he's the guy who's going to tell you he could kick your ass, and he's going to hope the hell that he can, just in case he doesn't get his ass, you know. So uh, we're, we're kind of like that, we're just like, we're awesome, you know, That's because it's like positive forward thinking, like, we're good, we're great, we're, we can do anything, we can, you know, we can write the Beatles, we can write, you know, Circuit Survive, <laughs> sure. Right. We can go anywhere in between, and it's like, all right, well... Can we, <laughs> you know, you, people start, you kind of get called out, you call it yourself by writing a record and saying you can do that and putting it on. Some people, you know, get on you. But um, I think, you know, we have, uh, for us, we would just react in the way like, okay, well, some of our fans love, you know, the new stuff and like, you know, the more it's uh, like experimental. And then, you know, a lot of our other fans love the Chroma stuff and the EP stuff. So it's like, okay, what, what do you do? Like, well, you, it's not like you have never written a pop song before. So I guess technically going back, to writing a pop song or maybe a few more on the next record you know it's just sort of you know just kind of bringing back some of that old kind of stuff or maybe it's you know not quite selling out in that space but i think for us what we do is we just go out and say okay you want pop music and we think we could do it well because i mean we wouldn't progress to the next thing if we didn't think what that we had you know gotten all we could get out of that 
then it's like, okay, well, what we're going to do, we'll put out 12 songs of the catchiest shit you've ever heard. And fuck you if you say it's too catchy, you know, because you just told us it wasn't catchy enough. So kiss my ass. And then on the second hand, we'll, you know, we'll do like 12 songs of the craziest shit you've ever heard. Any band who can write this, do, you know. Uh, cartel then, meets uh, me without you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll we'll right. just cartel versus cartel. We'll just you know, it's like <laughs> there you go. You know, black and white cartel. Right. They're awesome. Black Using and white the spy album. versus spy Mad Magazine thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just have us. Right. One bands in suits. One bands in t-shirts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd, be, it'd be cool, but um, we'd pro- we'd probably just react to it like that. But I mean, I, I kind of see us doing something like that anyway, just because there's a definite definite tug of war within the band, not necessarily like like issue wise. Like argue, we don't get into arguments. We're best friends. You know, like. I mean, sure, we do get in arguments, but it's not like, we're like, if we don't write this kind of a song, you know, it's over for me. I quit. You know, like, we, it's not about that for us. We just want to go out and have a good time, whether, you know, 400, 500 people are there or 2,000, whatever. We'll just have a good time either way. But, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, me and Joseph really love, you know, like the more experimental things. And we're the ones who will sit down and, you know, you know, become hermits and get on our keyboards and put our headphones on and get with our laptops and write some crazy thing or something. And you know, the other guys, you know, just want to have a good time, which is cool. And I think, you know, I think somewhere in between where this record landed us and what Chroma did for us, I think we kind of realized that, you know, we can write pop songs and let's just write, you know, like the Shins write pop songs too. And they're really good. Like, so, you know, there's, there's just ways you can kind of filter yourself to, let people understand you more and then hopefully the stuff that you filter out you can find some other avenue to vent with and um you know i think that that you know we've noticed that like even starting line like with kenny mm-hmm. doing the personnel stuff which is great and then you know the starting line records which are always great because they're good friends of ours and you know seeing them live and hearing the records now i'm like you totally get it you're like ah okay there it is so um and his world has changed too, absolutely you know and and he's having to probably adapt as well to the change. I mean, because you know, four years ago now, four or five, four years ago. I mean, yeah. he's like that was that band was boom, you know. And now it's it's there's still credibility there, still everything, but there's a lot of um, thinking uh, that the buzz is out, uh, the, yeah. the air's out, and so now he's trying to adapt. And you guys are trying to do the same thing too, because not only are you trying to move your band forward, but also that the ship that you're on is constantly being rebuilt now because the business model keeps changing. So mm-hmm. you're you're like having to fight on two different fronts now. Yeah. It's um yeah it's kind of it's it's definitely weird like I you know I struggle every day like when we have a song like it's like well do I do I keep this for cartel or, or sorry for I keep this for myself or to put it out at cartel because like as an artist you want everything you do to be heard that's like you know it's expression and it's not mm-hmm. expression unless somebody else is receiving it you know mm-hmm. um so it's for me you know, it's it's really hard to discern like well, okay well do I do I keep this and you know, keep it for later, or does, is Cartel more you know more worth the, worthy of the song? And it's, I think that this record was a lot about that, and um, the uh, hopefully you know the new record will be about the same. Like it just keeps you know natural. Cause like it's, I think if you the second you turn your back on, you know what's easy, like in I guess uh, just flows is the second that it loses all the soul, and. Um, Hopefully, you know, we continue to be able to do that. But um, I don't know, like the yellow card thing was interesting to me, like to see where lights and sounds were. And then to, yeah, I haven't actually heard the new record, but mm-hmm. I've heard it's a lot more like uh, Ocean Avenue. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. 
isn't as catchy as again. Yeah. I mean, I think he was trying to evolve it out a little bit more. There are some songs on there that there totally could be singles, but it's it's just not that kind of like this, this. At least to me, the singles aren't sticking out in my head very well. Yeah. That's but, all a quote know. by him that he said like he like sat down and realized that you know there's nothing wrong with writing three chord pop songs or something to that. Yeah, effect. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, no, yeah, you're definitely not wrong, but like there's also a lot to be said for not writing three chord pop punk songs when you know you can you know and i think it's just about having the right you know having the right people hear your music because like i I mean in all honesty i would say that this record that we made wasn't for our fans like it was probably for another audience altogether but you know and some of our fans would you know latch on obviously but um i think it's all about who hears your music and you know that goes back to the internet and exposure and all that other kind of stuff so it's it's never you know we can you know you can choose to adapt and, you know, survive or you can, you know, keep writing what you write and cross your fingers and hope right. that works oh, too. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But I think I think every artist kind of struggles with that. Like, you know, the solo, like, you know, you saw it with Further Things Forever and Chris Caraba. You know, he mm-hmm. went on, obviously, his dashboard stuff and they went on to do, you know, the same thing. So it's, I, th- I think it, it always comes to that point. And now he's kind of returned back. Yeah. I mean, he came uh, back to the acoustic thing again and... Yeah. and which, uh, I, which is, brings me to the thing, I'm like, you know, is music winning or are we just being, you know, ever, you know, so slowly just chained to the, you know, to the fans' leash? It's kind of, it's kind of hard to, to well, figure you know, out. It's you see like, a lot of bands doing that now. Yeah, well, there's, I think it's a, th- it's a, it's a philosophy within the entertainment industry as a whole because you see, I mean, I saw like you're a huge fan of uh, Ocean's Eleven, oh, yeah, Twelve right. and Thirteen, the, the right. whole series so far, and you know, the theory is as well, why are we going to go? get some wonderfully written script and finance that thing when the market tells us they want Ocean 14. Yeah. You know, so yeah. or Pirates of the Caribbean 28. And, <laughs> you know, and it's like, so it's like you get these, you just get this philosophy of, well, the market wants it. We're, they want the cheese. We're going to give them the cheese. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so it's not our job to give them the vegetables. So, you know, they want the vegetables, they go someplace else. So it's kind of like that sort of thing. It, it is a... Um, and unfortunately, because of Wall Street being so connected into the entertainment industry now, the market forces tend to win. Yeah. Because those are the people that are calling you guys up on the phone saying, we need Chroma 2. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I think, I think we'd do it just to just to throw a huge finger just to everybody. And it's like, you know, we want Chroma 2. But is that really the best way to do it out of, like, spite? Well, I mean, I think I think we'd probably do like like I said, we'd, if we did that, then we'd give them Chroma Two, and then we'd also at the same time with their money that they wanted us to record Chroma Two, that we'd spend like ten days on because writing recording pop songs is easy as hell. P.S. People, easy as hell. It doesn't take a lot of time. Anybody who takes six months to write a pop punk record is a moron, but because it doesn't <laughs> take that long to write those songs. Seriously, unless well, you they get smoke lyrically. a lot of pot. Well, so do we, but <laughs> shit. <laughs> We still recorded in 20 days, and we were stoned the whole must time. Must be a Georgian thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not much to do down there, Mike. No, no, I, I'm not. No, it's just me. You guys, different speed. Man. Yeah, it is a know, different speed. It affects <laughs> us differently up here, I guess. You're absolutely slows us way the ass down. Yeah, no, us too, man. We're just already used to being slow, so it's, not, it's like it's like instead of going from sixth gear to first gear, it's going from like third to second. We're just like we're right there, man. <laughs> We're already with you. and But you know what? Your sunsets are always better than ours up here. That's it's, for sure. It, it does get pretty down there. Yes, it does. Definitely. <laughs> what the hell were we talking about? Oh, we were just the market forces in Chroma yeah, 2. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, like, is is, is, is that what's going to happen? Is the the liner notes at the Chroma 2 record, the very, very, very last, after all the thank yous and you're going through the engineer and all that other stuff, and the last one's okay. Oh, and by the way, fuck you. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that would be cool. It's, I mean, it would, I think that would kind of be punk rock. <laughs> yeah, it would probably be the most punk rock you know, thing we've ever done. I'm sure Johnny Lydon would agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But if we, you know, I would say we'd do that, and we'd probably just then record, you know, like I said, with their money, the record we would record, but just like all the fringe things, and just we'd be like, okay, well, you can go and buy this, and sure, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, cool, too. The Tim Burton thing. Yeah, but then we'd flip the script on and be like, or you can go to this website and download the record we wanted to record. And there you go. And then you can record all this. You can get this for free. And it's not cartel. Sponsored by Dr. Pepper. Yeah, exactly. Because they paid for it all. So yeah. right, right, Well, right. no, we'd have to find something cool like Monster. I wonder if we, you know. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, we'll call Kevin Lawrence. Halo 3. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah get, some fun, get some fun stuff out of it. You know, I've always kind of wondered, <laughs> I've never asked this, um, and I don't really don't see it asked that often, but... Um, I remember when I was younger, I used to do stage work. I used to do shows mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it was always the big thing was get a copy of the dress rehearsal or get a copy of the last show performance and sit down and, and study it and take a look. Do you guys ever really study the what your performances are? Or do you kind of just go off of each other's feedback real fast? Um, we kind of we kind of look look at it a little bit. I mean, we'll have, you know, the, the random YouTube thing, you know. Um, well, they actually put some uh, some videos of our set on... Um, on our MySpace page, you know, mm-hmm. we, were, we were scrolling through and I was like, oh, look at that. And so we sat down. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got your videos. They got some behind the scenes stuff. I saw interview stuff and things like that. Yeah. And if you play that, you can actually, the, the live show, you can actually go and see like three or four other songs. It's like right there. It's like a little scrolling thing. Um, but we, we watched that just because we hadn't seen any video with the new lights because we finally got like a light guy to come with us and like make this crazy production. So, um, we saw that and we're like, okay, wow, this, this is actually pretty decent, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> so, um, uh, sometimes you can get like, okay, well, I, th- I thought I would just stood still all night and didn't have any energy. Oh, that sucks, you know? Because sometimes you're just tired and sometimes, like, especially for a singer, like, your air goes away. And if you, like, I, a lot of people, you know, will be like sparingly, you know, sing, you know, during the song. But like, for me, like, a lot of our songs are just, just, nothing but vocals and then like a couple breaks and then back to vocals they it's belt just, yeah and, and you're a loud singer but yeah. you really project out so it's hard for me sometimes like to to just you know be able to go nuts and still be able to come back and not be like oh god oh god get to see this you know go to so, track go to track yeah, everything on track you'll be fine yeah no, no, ashley simpson <laughs> we actually have started playing with tracks and it's really really cool like just doing like some of the backup stuff. Like eventually we'll be able to play Wasted live, and they right now we're still trying to figure out since there's no guitars on it. In fact, no <laughs> instrument other. There's actually no band instrument that we play. It's other your than it's your Depeche it. Mode moment, exactly. In a way. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but we have to. Uh, we, we're doing like a song. Uh, I will hide myself away. We do that with tracks because it's got a bunch of like looped uh, percussion and stuff that you know obviously we can't get away with. Um, but. Hopefully that's something we can continue to do because the tracks thing is really cool. Just as long as the vocals just kind of always weird me out with that. Although we do have some backing vocals just because we only have, I mean, I'm the only guy who records vocals in the studio and Jeff can only do so much just because there's some things that go way out of his range. So we had to involve some other vocals, but it's, you know, it's really cool if people would get involved with the digital thing with music and some people want to be like, oh, analog, you know, but <laughs> come on, like it, you know, it, it. some people just can't have 23 people on stage, you know, sorry, I'm going <laughs> We <laughs> don't have that kind of that kind of accessibility. Did you have you guys ever like sat down after reviewing one of your performances online or on YouTube or something like that, and 
there's a habit that you do on stage. There's some <laughs> habit, and and every time you see yourself too, you're like, I look like such a girl, or <laughs> I look retarded, or I, you know, yeah. Nick, why do you do that? Why do you? It really bothers me. Do you you buy? Uh, yeah, you know, it's like is it something like that? I think we all understand that, like you know, when you go out there, it's, it's not like. I mean, we're performing. You know, it's not like when you're walking down the street, you're going to be doing your stage dance or anything like that, you know? <laughs> so it's like you you start to, I guess, let people have their, their habits and their quirks. It's like their thing. So we don't really bust each other's balls too much. But I mean, for me, like I'll see sometimes like, um, like I used to do this little flick like that it just every now and then, I guess, just to kind of, I guess throw my hair out of the way or something but it was when I had long hair and I just kept doing it and I, even when I had like really 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 short hair I would do it and I was like what, what's the point of this so now I've just adapted it since I'm, whenever I start doing it I just start shaking it more so it looks like I'm really into it but really it's just to overcompensate for the fact that I think I am look like I have a, a tick when I'm doing it you know I'm just like <laughs> singing and singing just tick oh god you know so uh, I, I notice I'll do that sometimes but I kind of just said okay we'll just go off that throw some more energy into it and then just try to breathe that's just really the thing step up in the mic take a deep breath and then try to go and you, whatever comes out just hopefully it doesn't look like you're, you're having convulsions <laughs> um or maybe that's cool now you are you were born on may 4th 1987 84 80, 84 mm -hmm. okay so uh that's right yes and um you are a taurus mm -hmm. and uh, they, uh, the, the one thing that the, 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 the Taurus is described is, um, for being patient, slow moving and careful. Uh -huh. You love to prolong and savor enjoyable times. Uh -huh. You appreciate and need comfort, ease and warm surroundings. Be careful of a tendency to become placid and self-satisfied and overeat, especially sweets. <laughs> you require strenuous situations in order to grow and mature properly, even though you try to avoid them. Affectionate, even-tempered, and slow to anger. When you do become emotionally upset, you are also slow to forgive, and time must pass before you calm returns. You demand real results from any situation. Abstract abstractions are very difficult for you to comprehend. Very artistic. Oh, well, that's good. Um, your hands love to mold and shape things. Oh, my God, this is so true. Um, <laughs> you portray an earthy physical sexiness that others find quite seductive. How much of that is true? Um... I don't know, I think just because there's so many different people like that would have been born around that time, you know, obviously that like it's something is going to be very, very true for all of them. But especially for me, there's some of those things where you just go, oh, God, that's true. Like the uh, strenuous situations to learn like greater concepts. Definitely true. I've never learned. I was going through one right now. I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to learn, but it's whew, surely stressful. <laughs> but um, it's uh, that's definitely true. The uh, the slow to forgive. That's that's pretty true. I, I, I hold. I hold grudges kind of bad. That's you know, definitely a fall. But I'm, I'm one of those guys. I take friendships really personal. I never hold grudges against anybody who's not my friend. If if somebody showed me some sort of positive, you know, energy, and then for no reason whatsoever that I had anything to do with turns on it, and it's negative energy. I'm just, Fuck you. And I don't. I never forget that. I always I always keep that with me for some reason. But um, the other the. Uh, I, don't know, I would say the uh, the abstractions thing to comprehend that's not quite true. I do I do kind of get into that, but most of those things are are quite true. The, the one thing they did miss in there that's always true of a Taurus is that we're stubborn. Oh yeah, very. Yeah, I think they were being polite in this one. Yeah, that was that was pretty. Polite. Usually that's was like, like oh, first wow. thing right on there. Yeah, is stubborn as hell. <laughs> very true. So are so you the one that's slower to adapt in the band? Because uh, it doesn't sound like it. You sound like no, you're the one that's like, let's go out on new frontiers of adventures. And and but if you're Taurus, yeah, I'm, de I'm definitely quicker to adapt. I think I think that m would probably fall in line more so with the artistic thing. 
then um the real results though that's that's one thing that's very true i do like really want like something real to happen like you know, like the bubble thing, like, you gotta show me on paper where, you know, this worked, you know, that kind of thing. So ever since the record has come out on the 21st of August, have you been, hi- not hyper, but have you been almost micro, micro attentive to what's been going on? Like, okay, did they get the end cap in Best Buy? Okay, did they, what's going on over at K-Rock in LA? Okay, what's going on? You know, like asking Chris yeah. and the label, like, okay, what's going on? Hello, can I get a report? Can I get anything? I think just because so many so many things were reliant upon that. I just kind of, instead of, instead of really taking it on firsthand and like trying to know everything, I did everything. Like I was like that exactly up until August 21st. And once that day started um, and we heard the first week, I guess the next week, I've just resigned myself to the situation completely just because after that, like once it's come out, there's nothing that I personally can do to make anything else happen other than, cross fingers and hope radio plays it if they want record sales that kind of thing so um i don't know it it, it seems like i just kind of try to avoid the worst case scenario at all possible costs just because i don't want uh i don't know i, I really hate being disappointed <laughs> which is it comes with the real results thing but um that's i really had to do that with this just because not that we've been disappointed with what's going on but more so just the it's it's definitely a lot more plausible now just because with chroma it was like well we released three you know we sold three thousand copies first week with militia sold six something first week when it re-released so i mean we knew it was going to do better than that obviously because we had you know a much larger fan base but i think we're just you know kind of all like well you know what whatever happens happens and you know beyond that all we can do is write music so i think now that we're Become a little bit more seasoned, a little bit more jaded in the things of, you know, like, he debuted number 20 on the Billboard list. Cool. What's it now? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's just more realistic. You, you get more involved in what you can really control, and that's, you know, playing live and writing new songs and recording, you know, the, the songs you have written, so that kind of thing. One last question. Yeah. I hear you do a great version, impersonation of Stan from South Park. Stan, it's, it's more so probably Cartman. I don't know. Cartman, really? Where'd you hear the stand from? Well, I've, I've read it in, in a piece. Yeah. Well, we do, we do like, um, who do you, I, who do, who do, you do you impersonate anybody? I, I don't think, I'm not, well, I can think at it. Some people it doesn't do any good in the podcast, but I can do, the, you know, the Chandler dance from Friends, I can do that. Probably really wouldn't well. work in a podcast. No, it definitely wouldn't <laughs> But, um, in, in South Park, I think it was, uh, what you read was a South Park character you most resemble is more like Stan, like, God damn it. That guy, you know, like that sort of thing. <laughs> You know, like he's always the guy. Like, has like the the clincher line at the end of the show. Right, like, right. Him right. or Kyle, and they're always together. Like, staying out of this one. You know, like when the the did you see the episode with uh, Jimmy and Timmy joint? We're trying to join the Crips. Oh yeah, right, 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 and, right. And right. they're like, staying out of this one. Don't have anything to do with it. Ah, biting. You know, like that's that's exactly it. So with impersonations, it's kind of hard to impersonate somebody like that. Like Cartman would be an easier guy just because he has such a distinct voice. Oh, but, sure, sure, sure. Uh, Personality wise, Stan is definitely me on South Park. Kevin mm-hmm. is. Kevin is Carmen. Oh, really? He sounds just like him. He doesn't actually. He doesn't act like him, but he just said, "He God, it's so funny." He's like, "Kah," especially because his little brother's name is Kyle. So like, he's like, "Kah, where's my drumsticks?" Kah, you know, it's pretty funny. I'm telling you, it, 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 you could do ringtones. Oh, yeah. You could do ringtones cool. with this. Uh, we should. You know, we just put them on the MySpace. Cartman singing cartel songs. Yeah, please do me. <laughs> have, have you have you seen the uh, uh, Faith Plus One episode? No, no, where no. He no. joins the uh, well. He was in a band with 
the rest of the guys, and then um, they didn't like the songs that uh, Carmen was playing, and uh, they were like, "Carmen, this is lame." And he's like, "That fuck you guys, I quit. You know, I'll go, I'll go start my own band. I will sell a platinum record before you." And they're like, "Sure, I'll bet you ten bucks you don't." And so he goes and starts a Christian rock band. Oh right, yes, I yeah. saw this one. Yes, yes, yes. That's a that's a funny one because all those he's like, "I want to get down on my knees, start pleasing Jesus." You're like. <laughs> like he's the the songs he sings are so funny, so funny. Like when he starts doing the Elvis in the in the ghetto. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so funny. They're geniuses. They don't even know it. Will, thank you so much for coming in. Um, it's uh, learned a lot, and uh, and best of luck with everything with this record, and mm-hmm. and for the next uh, few thousand more that you're gonna put out. I'm sure, <laughs> you know, fun. whether it's in physical format or digital format. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you real soon. Thanks cool. again. Thanks for having me. AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Ortenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP.